I just want to say hi. There's, are there cars over here? Hi, you guys. This is like, this is amazing. And we got like, I've never, got to be honest, I've never been honked at before for good reasons. So this is super exciting. I'm from San Diego, California. And what's really amazing is how many of you showed up at like 8.30 a.m.? Like, I've never heard of that in San Diego. We we find out what time church starts, and then we show up late. So this is so cool. We're going to bring some of Arkansas back to San Diego because we could learn from from your passion. Um, I'm excited to be in Arkansas. I thought I was coming to Arkansas last summer because a church contacted me and said, would you like to come to our state, AK? Like, they used the two letters AK, and I thought AK was Arkansas. So I told my friends, my friends, my family, I'm going to Arkansas. And then I found out like two weeks before, AK is Alaska. So I ended up in Alaska, which is not quite the same. And I am so excited to finally be here in Arkansas. Everywhere I go, I've kind of become known as the cancer guy. I'm like, I'm the guy who survived cancer. And it's really interesting because when you go through trauma, people often label you based on that trauma. You know, like if you go through a divorce, people label you, oh, you're the person who got divorced. You're not the person who started a company or the, the person who's a great mother or a great father. They label you as the divorcee. When you go through cancer, oh, that's the cancer survivor. Not the, not the preacher, not the singer, that's the cancer survivor. If your house gets burned in a fire, oh, that's the precious family that, you, you know them, they're the ones whose house burned down. And you kind of get labeled on your trauma, and I came to let you know that you are much more than your trauma, and I am more than just a cancer survivor, because I've also been bitten by seagulls, and I've been chased by a beaver, and no one talks about that. I've been stung by a stingray. I've been sprayed by a skunk. No one cares. No church ever is like, can you share that time that you survived a skunk? Nobody cares. I came to let you know I'm not just a cancer survivor. I have survived animals. So many animals. I'm going to tell you more tonight, but I'm going to share one, of, one with you right now. My wife and I are, like I said, from San Diego. So... You know, people in San Diego go to the beach. So we went to the beach and we rented this longboard, which is basically a really big surfboard for people who are not athletic, which is me. So we took it out and we went past all the waves. And I told my wife, hey, you know, because we weren't married yet. I was trying to impress her. I think I was like, I don't know how old I was. And I was like, hey, we're going to go past the waves. I want to show her that I'm a man. I'm a man. And us men, you know, we go deep into the ocean. So we got on the longboard. We went past all the waves. It's really important that you remember we went past all the waves. All right? That's good. That's going to come back in just a second. Now, my wife was saying, Jason, I'm a little scared of sharks. And I said, honey, this is San Diego. They locked up all the sharks at SeaWorld with no parole. So we're fine. There's no sharks out here. So we go out and um, we're on the longboard. We're kind of sitting on the longboard like this. Our feet are dangling in the water. All of a sudden, my wife points down and yells, shark! And I was like, honey, come on. And I look down, and I see next to my foot a shadowy figure. He's not moving like a dolphin. He's moving like a shark. And I, as manly as I could, I tried to lift my feet out of the water, you know, but still, I don't even know how you do that and still feel like a man. But I just, like, pulled my feet out, 
And I was like, it's okay, it's okay. He swam away. I was like, oh, we're fine, we're fine. Not even five minutes later, he comes back with two other sharks, and they start surrounding our longboard. And at this point, I'll be honest with you, I was panicking on the inside. The difference between me and my wife at that moment is she was panicking everywhere. So she was like shaking, and I thought our board was about to flip over, and we were going to die. And I don't want to die that way. So I'm trying to think, what can I say to calm her down? So I said, <clears throat> she's screaming, she's panicking. I said, honey, it's okay. God is with us. I didn't mean it. I, I got to be honest with you, I didn't feel God's presence in that moment. I know it makes me sound like some amazing man of God to be like, God is with us. I was just as scared as her, but I was more scared that she was going to flip us over. So I thought maybe if I tell her God is with us, it will calm her down. Because in that moment, I did not feel God's presence. Can I be honest with you? There are moments in life where you don't feel God's presence. And often we think we must be bad because we're not feeling God's presence. I know that many of us sitting here right now, this year has been tough. And for much of this year, you feel like I haven't felt God. I haven't seen God. Where is God? Maybe there's something wrong with me. And I, I want to try and encourage you this morning. And, but before I do, I need to confess. I, I, I do need to confess something to you. Um, it's something I haven't really told a lot of people, but I think it's really important to to get this out into the open. Um, it's actually it's a little hard to talk about. My one time, my wife and I got kicked out of Barnes and Noble bookstore, and I just needed to get that off my chest. What happened was we were playing in the children's section a book called Where's Waldo. And has anyone heard of Where's Waldo? Can you honk if you heard of where? This is fun being honked at. Um, I, we were playing this book, Where's Waldo? And apparently at Barnes & Noble, you're not supposed to just read their books for free and then leave. I thought it was like a library. It's not. They actually want your money. But they don't tell you that. So I went in there, and I'm playing Where's Waldo, and I was so good at this game. I was getting up to level five, and then they came, and they're like, you have to leave. Kids are getting a little weird out. You need to go. Um, so we left, and that's my confession to make. So I went home, and I went on the Internet. And you have to be careful on the Internet. I searched for Where's Waldo pictures, and I found this website, and they had all these pictures of Where's Waldo. If you don't know what Where's Waldo is, I'll explain. It's a big... Uh, it's a big paper of all these little cartoon characters, tons and tons of cartoon characters wearing all kinds of crazy outfits. And there's one character who's wearing red and white stripes on his hat and his shirt, and his name is Waldo. And your job is to go through all these characters and find Waldo. So I found this website, and I'm looking, trying to find Waldo, and I couldn't find him. I printed out the paper I was looking for two weeks. I showed my wife. I said, honey, can you find Waldo? I cannot find Waldo. I, I'm just not kidding, guys. I spent two weeks trying to find Waldo. I never found him. And then I found out this website likes to take photos from Where's Waldo books 
and Photoshop Waldo out of the picture so that people like me will spend two weeks trying to find Waldo and he's not even there. And sometimes I feel like God has been photoshopped out of my life. I'm looking at my situation and I'm like, I'm saying, where is God? I don't see him. And I go to church and the pastor says, God is there. And I'm like, where? Have you ever, can we be honest in church? Have you ever felt like God is missing in the picture of your life? I bet that's how Moses felt. Moses had just brought the children of Israel, the people of Israel, out of slavery in Egypt. And he's headed to the promised land. And all of a sudden, they come to the edge of the Red Sea. The Bible says that they were on the west side of the Red Sea. I want you to remember that. The west side of the Red Sea. And as he's standing there, the children of Israel come up to him and they say, Hey, was this your plan? You were going to bring us here to die? Because here's what happens. They're stuck. They can't move forward. And yet, here comes their past. Egypt has decided to chase them. The chariots of the Egyptian army are coming back to haunt them. Have you ever been stuck between your future and your past? 2019, you were excited for 2020. You were like, man, 2019 was a terrible year. I can't wait for 2020. Oh, man, I'm so ready to get away from my past and start my future. And then COVID-19 hit. And you felt stuck. You can't go forward. And then in your marriage, you thought you would work some things out. But now that you're stuck in the same house all the time, the fights are beginning to start again. And here comes your past. The things you thought you conquered are coming back to haunt you. You're stuck between your future. You feel like you can't move forward. But here comes your past. The things you thought that you had conquered. And you feel like Moses stuck between your past and your future. The people of Israel come to Moses and they say, man, we're going to die. So Moses gives a beautiful speech, you guys. Beautiful speech. When you read it, he says something like, do not fear. God is with us. It's kind of like what I said about the sharks. He says, do not fear. God is with us. In the meantime... Shut your mouth. That's actually what he says. Like, go read it in the Bible. He gives this beautiful speech about how God is with us. And then he ends it by just saying, would you please shut your mouth? I wish more speeches were like that. I have a dream that one day y'all would just shut your mouth. You know, like just uh, take a beautiful speech and just end it like that. Moses does that. In the next verse, the Bible says, God said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Check that out. Moses gives this really beautiful, calming speech. In the next verse, God says, Moses, why are you crying out to me? So if you really read between the lines, here's what happens. Do not fear. Help! That's what's really happening. Have any moms and dads felt like that? You had to tell your kids, we're fine, we're fine. God, please! You have to pretend like everything's okay. You have to come to church and pretend that you're a person who has faith and you are strong and you, and you can't be honest that you want to kill yourself. 
that you're scared, that you've been putting on a fake face, pretending, trying to convince everybody and yourself that you're okay, but the truth is you're panicking. That's how Moses was. He had to pretend that, hey, guys, we're okay. But the truth is he was just as scared as the rest of them. And God said to Moses, Moses, what's in your hand? And he had this really cool stick like Gandalf does in Lord of the Rings. And so he's like, all right. So he goes to the Red Sea. And here's where Hollywood um, changes the story. Honk your horn if you've ever seen a movie recreation of Moses and the Red Sea. All right. For many of us, it was Charlton Heston or, you know, it was the beautiful cartoon Prince of Egypt. Every time Moses goes up to the Red Sea and it, it, it goes like this, he's like, and then boom, water like explodes. Have you guys know what I'm talking about? Instantly the miracle happens. Instantly, he points his stick, boom, instant miracle. That's not what happened. That's not what the Bible says. And to be honest with you, that rarely happens in real life. Where you pray and then boom, explosion. It doesn't usually always happen. Sometimes it does. But for many of us, we've been praying for years, waiting on a miracle. Here's what actually happens. If you go back and read the story, let me recreate it. Since Hollywood won't, here's what happened. All right, God, I got my stick. It's still wet. There's still water, God. Abracadabra. Shazam. Nothing happens. He points his stick. Nothing happens. Do you know how embarrassing that is? <laughs> That's so embarrassing. He, he points his stick. Nothing happens. The people of Israel are like, our leader has lost it. What is going on? You know what the Bible says? An east wind began to blow. That's... Interesting, because he was standing on the west side. Let me, let me try to explain how the geography would work, most likely. He's standing on this side of the Red Sea, but the wind begins to blow from the opposite side. God begins to part the Red Sea from the opposite side. Side, has God ever done a miracle in your life the opposite way? You're like, God, I prayed for a boyfriend, but him? You know, it's like God kind of did the miracle, but not quite the way you wanted. God begins to part the Red Sea from the opposite side. On top of that, it says, the wind began to blow all night long. That means Moses would have to go to sleep, not seeing the miracle. That's so tough. That's so tough. When you've been praying and praying, and in your, in your naked eye, you do not see the Red Sea parting. All night long, God begins parting the Red Sea from the opposite side, but Moses cannot see it. It looks, from the human eye, it looks like God has gone silent. It looks like God has abandoned Moses. It looks like God has been photoshopped out of the picture. 
But that's not what's happening. As Moses is asleep, God has been up all night parting away, making a way from the opposite side so that by the time Moses wakes up, the Red Sea has been parted. Some of us are going to have to go to sleep for many, many nights and it's going to look like God is not working, but often He's working behind the scenes. He's doing a creative miracle. You can't see it and you just have to trust. That's how I felt. I was 28 years old, diagnosed with stage 4 tongue cancer. I had never smoked. I never drank alcohol. I never did drugs. Doctors couldn't explain it. But they said, we're going to have to remove 20% of your tongue. And we're going to open up your neck and remove half your lymph nodes. So they did. Two months later, the cancer came back more aggressive, and they said, if we don't operate, you're going to die. We're going to have to remove another 60% of your tongue. This time, we're going to do surgery on your arm. Also, chemicals had leaked through my body, all through my legs, and I couldn't move my legs. I was stuck in a wheelchair, and they said, we don't know if you will ever walk again. We don't, we don't think you'll ever talk again. And if you are able to talk, It's going to be gibberish. No one will understand you. You won't be able to sing again. Even playing piano. They had done all these surgeries on my arm to create a fake new tongue. And they said, I don't know if you'd be able to use your hand and your arm the same way. Guys, I grew up singing, preaching, and playing piano. And in one moment, they said, I don't think you're going to sing, preach, or play piano. I felt I was losing everything in that moment. And then on one very, very dark night, I was in the hospital, I was in the ICU, and they had just operated on my mouth a 15-hour surgery. And when I woke up, my tongue was so swollen that I could not breathe through my mouth. And so they had put what's called a trach. They put a tube in my neck. And I'll make this quick, but my body was rejecting the the tube and creating mucus so I could not breathe through my neck. And in my nose, they had put feeding tubes. But in all the rush, the tube, the, the feeding tube had gotten pulled on and it ripped something in my nose and now my nose was plugged up with blood. And I could not breathe through my nose, my mouth, or my neck. And I would begin to panic and my heart rate would skyrocket and they would take a vacuum and they would put it down my neck to get the mucus out. And every five minutes I felt like I was suffocating. I was in so much pain. Pain like I had never, I'd never felt more pain in my life. I'd never felt less like a man. I never felt less like a human. Nurses are like changing me and like, I thought I was this like young man and here I am being treated like a baby. I hated it. And I'm so thankful for all the nurses out there who, man, you guys see some hard stuff and you, you put yourself on the line for people like me and I was in so much pain and so they were trying to give me pain medicine and pain medicine, it, it blocks you up so that your, your body can't get rid of waste and so to, to take care of that, they give you this thing called Senna, which helps your body to go. But in all the rush, one nurse had ended her shift by giving me Senna. 
And the next nurse began her shift by giving me senna. And I tell you this because in this one moment, I found myself screaming on the bathroom floor, not able to breathe, sitting in my own waste, sitting in a mixture of vomit and mucus and waste, feeling absolutely degraded as a human and a man, in so much pain. And all I could remember in my head is that the doctor said it will get worse for the next five days. And I thought, five days? I can't even take five more minutes. So they cleaned me up and they got me to the hospital bed and I pulled out my phone and I went to Google and I typed easy ways to die. And I began looking around the hospital room for something I could kill myself with. It was the darkest night of my life. And in that moment, I will be honest with you, I did not feel God's presence. What do you do when you're going through a hard situation and you don't feel God? I can tell you one thing, it's a good reminder that we are not controlled by our feelings. I was getting ready to figure out a way to kill myself and my wife showed up. She showed up around 9 p.m. She was working two jobs. She'd wake up at 4 a.m., go to one job, get off that job, go to the next to help pay the medical bills. And then she would come to the hospital from 9 p.m. to midnight to be with me and then go home and do it again. And she was with me. And when she walked into that hospital room, she listened to me, to my eyes and she could see I was, I was ready to end my life. I was done. All the energy, the life was gone. And she didn't know what to do. And sometimes we don't know what to say to someone. So we quote scripture at them. Can I just be honest? The last thing I wanted in that moment was a scripture verse because I had already quoted them to myself. I was a pastor. I knew all the theology. I knew all the scriptures. But when you're on the brink of death, I didn't need more scripture in that moment. And at first, this might sound like, wait, what? Are you saying we need less Bible? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying I had read the Bible. I knew the verses. In that moment, I needed someone to cry with me. When Jesus showed up to Lazarus and his sister came up to him, Lazarus was dead. And the sister said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not be dead. You know what she's saying? Jesus, this is your fault. Where were you? My brother was dying and you were not there. And you know what Jesus did? He did not quote scripture. It says Jesus wept. In that moment, Jesus understood the pain. And though it felt like he was silent, he was getting ready for a very creative miracle. My wife walked into that room. And she just began to cry with me and sit with me. She didn't know what to say. So she began to sing. And my wife will tell you, she's not a singer. She, she, she doesn't, she, you know, that's not, she's not trying to pursue being a singer. But in that moment, when words were not enough, she just began to sing. And she didn't hit 
all the right notes and she didn't even say all the right words. But she sang anyway. There's an old, an old hymn, Come Thou Found. Come Thou Found of Every. She didn't know quite the words to it, so she just started making up her own words. You are good, Lord. You are good. You are good, Lord. You are good. She just began to pace the hospital room and sing. Tears were falling from her eyes, hitting the, the cold hospital floor. Her voice was echoing through the halls, and even though she wasn't a singer, it was the most beautiful thing I had heard in that moment. And in that moment, when my faith was not enough to get me through, her faith came alongside and said, I'm not giving up on you, so you're not giving up. And I began to feel what felt like the presence of God began to flood that room. If peace was a person, it was like he floated into the room. And for the first time, I hadn't slept in three days. All of a sudden, I began to feel peace. And I began to drift off to sleep. And I woke up 15 hours later. And all I knew was I'm not going to give up. I was still going to have eight weeks of chemotherapy. I was still going to have 35 rounds of radiation. I was still going to have more operations. But I wasn't going to give up because she didn't give up on me. Because God didn't give up on me. So I was not going to give up. What do you do when you don't feel God's presence and you have to go to sleep and you haven't seen the miracle? Well, let me go back to that shark story. As the sharks began to surround our longboard, I said, God is with us. I said it. I didn't feel it, but I declared it. Some of us have to declare what we don't see. Perhaps that's what faith is, declaring what you cannot see. I said, God is with us. I don't have evidence right now for that. All I see are three sharks. But God is with us. And in that moment, remember, we had gone past all the waves. In that moment, I heard what sounded like the rush of, of a mighty wind of rushing waters. And a wave appeared out of nowhere, picked up our longboard, and took us into the shore. And the craziest thing was, this is San Diego. So there were people all over in the ocean and somehow our board navigated without hitting anyone. And it wasn't me driving. I was holding on for dear life. I was like, if we hit a kid, you know what? It happens. But God took over and our longboard missed every person. And we got on the shore and then her, our backpack, my phone was ringing. And I went to my phone and it was my mom. And she was up in Orange County, way, far away from San Diego. And she said, Jason, are you okay? And I said, well... I was just surrounded by three sharks. And she said, you know, five minutes ago, God told me to pray for you because you were in danger. Man, we, we all need people who are praying for us when we're in danger, when we don't feel God, but they can, they can have that faith to come alongside us. That's why we come to church, because sometimes you feel like your faith isn't enough, but now you're surrounded by other people who believe with you and pray with you. When you want to give up, they don't give up. That's why we're here. Because we have people and pastors who won't give up on us when we feel like giving up. Because we serve a God who is undefeated. So Moses crosses that Red Sea. 
a creative miracle. When it looked like God was silent, he wasn't. He had been working all night. So let me bring this story to a close. I couldn't speak for nine months. Couldn't eat for nine months. I lived on a feeding tube. I was bedridden. I finally started doing speech therapy, trying to get my voice back. And I really wanted to sing again. And I would cry myself to sleep because I would try to sing and I just sounded like nothing. And it was hard. But I, I didn't give up. And I kept singing. And finally, one day, I had been able to gain my voice back a little bit. And I'd written a song. And I asked my pastor at the time, I said, hey, can I, can I sing this song for our church to say thank you for not giving up on me? It was a song I'd written called These Walls. And he, he gave me permission, and I, I got up on stage that Sunday, and all three services, I got to sing the song. It needed subtitles because my voice was hard to understand. And I sang, and it was such a beautiful moment. I had no idea what was about to happen next. They took that song, and they put it on Facebook. And all of a sudden, a few days later, 100,000 people had seen it. A few days later, a million people had seen it. A few days later, two million people had seen it. All of a sudden, the 700 Club and Fox News and NBC were calling, saying, can we share your story of how God saved you and put it on television? All of a sudden, the song began being translated in 25 languages, and now every Sunday it's being sung in churches in Asia, in Germany, in Australia, in Mexico, all over the world. People are singing the song. A song about worshiping God even when the walls are still standing. It's easy to praise God when life is easy. That's not faith. But when you don't see God moving and you worship anyway, because that is trust and faith that God is moving behind the scenes. So I'm going to sing that song for you in just a minute. But before I do, I just want to tell you one more thing. I think many of us have misinterpreted God's silence. But let me tell you something. When I write a song, you know, you know what's crazy is, since writing that song, I got, I was, my doctors told me, you'll never make a CD again. You'll never make music again. I'm holding 18 songs right here that I've recorded since cancer. I I sent the song to one of my doctors, just, here you go. <laughs> and when, when I write these songs, when I'm writing a song or when I'm writing a poem or when I, I love to do art, you know, I'll usually I'll have music playing and I'll be talking out loud to myself. But all of a sudden, this thing will happen. My wife will tell you, all of a sudden, I get really, really quiet. I get really, really silent. And my wife knows, okay, okay. He's gotten really silent. You know what that means? He's on to something. He's really, really focused. When I get quiet, it's because all of a sudden I've, I've figured out something. I've, I've figured out a melody that I love or a lyric that I'm passionate about. Or all of a sudden I figured out the right color spectrum I want to use. I get really quiet. And it'd be very easy for you to misinterpret my silence for apathy. To interpret my silence as me being bored. 
to interpret my silence as me not caring about my creation. But it's the very opposite. When I get silent, I get creative. In my silence, I am at my most creative. And my wife gets more excited when I'm quiet because she knows I'm on to something. And some of us have been misinterpreting God's silence as apathy. But could it be he's actually more focused on a creative miracle in your life? Don't misinterpret the silence. When God gets silent, you get excited. Because there's a miracle in the works and you can't see it with your naked eye. But God has been parting the Red Sea from the opposite side. For some of you, it's been years and years and years. But now I look back. For two years, I fought cancer. And now I look back. And here I am in Arkansas because of everything that happened. If I had never gotten cancer, I wouldn't be here right now. I would only be the guy who survived the skunk, and no one wants to hear that story. I can look back at my life, and now I see that God took something that was so dark and so deadly, and he turned it into a creative miracle to reach millions of people all over the world. God is doing something behind the scenes, and you just have to trust and believe that he is good, that he loves you, and that his silence does not mean you are forgotten, but rather it means that he is focused. So I would like to end with this song that I've, it's called These Walls, and I'm going to sing it for you as best I can. You know, my, my voice still struggles and my lisp is still there, but I'm going to give you all I have and ask that you let these words permeate your soul this morning. This song is called These Walls.